Would you open your Bible this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 21? Acts, chapter 21. If you were in Sunday school this morning, you feel sort of familiar turning there. It's a continuation of what we did there in Sunday school, and I appreciate your studying this with us. Acts, chapter 21. Incidentally, Brother Ben did not tell us where we stood in our score this morning in Sunday school. I guess he'll announce that tonight. He is running around the building trying to find everybody. And if you were not in Sunday school this morning, you might have helped the devil get a touchdown. I hope not. But uh, how many of you were in Sunday school this morning? Lift your hands. All right, that's good. How many of you were not? All right, I don't see, I see several hands, but I don't blame you for not holding them very high. I want to encourage you to be there next Sunday and let's all be together in the Lord's house as we study the Bible together. Please help us do this. I hope nobody will miss and you come tonight and see what that score was. And also in Trinity Union tonight, we need you to be sure to be here. I want to focus this morning on this passage in Acts chapter 21 beginning with verse 10. Acts chapter 21, verse 10. Brother Jim's messages and songs were so appropriate this morning as we speak together concerning the subject, ready to live, ready to die. Ready to live, ready to die. May we pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for what we have already experienced. So good to be in God's house. We thank you for the many people who are here and who have joined us by radio. We pray that thou wouldst cause a deep conviction to come upon all of us. May we be aware that the Holy Spirit is speaking beyond the words of the preacher. We're hearing from God. Lord, deal with every heart. May we be open before thee and ready to respond. May the Spirit of God draw those who have not been saved. May this be a a day of decision and destiny and victory. In Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) Thank you so much. I don't usually do this, but I'm having some throat problems this morning. Excuse me. I wish you would pray for me concerning this. I've not had any throat problems for several years. I'd like for you to pray for me about that. Acts chapter 21, beginning with verse 10. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this belt and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we had heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem 
for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. I think it would be a remarkable thing if you'd mark those verses in your, in your scripture and turn back to them at another time and God will speak to your heart through those verses. You've heard people say, the will of the Lord be done. Where'd that come from? Right there in that verse. Paul said, what mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? Why do you try to persuade me, dissuade me? Why do you try to deal with my heart like you are? I have a purpose. I have a plan. God has touched my heart. He has given me an assignment. And I must carry that assignment into reality and into fruition. Life as to duration is so very brief, just a heartbeat less than a funeral. Just a breath less and then a grave digged. We're not permanent in our earthly tabernacle. Just any moment, we may have to drop it and move into God's new house for us. We're not going to live forever in the situation that we have or are in. Whether the situation is bad, it will not last forever. Or if the situation is good, may we not become so attached to the things here that we forget that we're not citizens just of Bowling Green, Kentucky or the United States of America. We have a higher citizenship. That place is with God. In just 14 years, we will reach the year 2000. Some in this room may not arrive at the year 2000. You may have already been called to the other world. We do not know how long we're going to live here. Sometimes we become so attached to the playthings and the toys that we have and all the little things that we do that we lose our longing for heaven. A number of years ago, a friend of mine, while we were in college together, wrote this song, I have a longing in my heart for Jesus, just to be with him. To see his face, I have a longing in my heart for him. I wonder if you have that longing in your heart. The Apostle Paul was one of the most unusual men that ever lived. He was born in Tarsus. I think he came to Jerusalem when he was about 18 years old to study at the rabbinical schools. He came maybe a year or two years after the Lord had been crucified. He knew a lot about Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. He had heard all that the rabbinical schools had said about him. They thought he was an imposter. They thought he was a fake. They had crucified him. They thought they were through with him. But over and over again, in the streets of Jerusalem, there would come those strange men who would be willing to face stoning and death to talk about Jesus, whom the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and the rabbinical school said was dead. But they would come and risk their lives to talk about him and to say he's not really dead, he's alive. He died, 
but he was raised from the dead. Paul, Saul knew that was impossible. The Pharisees knew that was impossible. The rabbinical school knew it was impossible. The theologians of that day knew that was impossible. And so Saul made fun of them. He made havoc of them all. And he determined to put to death everybody who would have anything to do with this sect called Christians. Until one day, he was out on a street corner and there was a, a man with an aroa about him. His name, he learned later, was Stephen. This Stephen had been elected as a deacon in that church in Jerusalem. And he was out on the street corner giving his testimony. And he talked about how Jesus not only was crucified, but he was raised from the dead. And when he spoke of the resurrection of the dead, they turned against him and they railed against him. Now the Sadducees didn't believe in any resurrection. The Pharisees believed in it, but they certainly didn't believe Jesus had been raised from the dead. They thought they were rid of him, through with him forever. And as Stephen talked, the people around began to take up stones and throw at Stephen. And they laid their cloaks down at the feet of the young man named Saul. And Saul consented to the death of Stephen. And while Stephen was dying, he said the most unusual thing. He stood gazing into heaven just before he fell down for the last time. And then I think when he fell down and the stones were all around him and piled up all around him, Stephen looked up and he said, I see Jesus. I see Jesus. And he's standing at the right hand of the Father and made an indelible impression upon Saul he never got away from. A few days later he left Jerusalem. He was going to Damascus to put to death the Christians there. But all through that, that trip, over and over again, there came those words, I see Jesus, I see Jesus, I see Jesus. And he's standing at the right hand of the Father. Finally, about 10 miles outside the city of Damascus, there was a great light that shone down. And there was a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, sir? And the voice said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And Saul said, Lord, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And in that moment, Saul of Tarsus, the famous theologian from Jerusalem under studying under Gamaliel, was changed just like that. His ambitions were changed. His lifestyle was changed. His purpose in living was changed. His destiny was changed. Everything about him was changed. And he went into Damascus and God told Ananias to go over and tell Saul how great things he must suffer for Jesus' sake. Now that was many years ago. When we come to this passage, we've just read all that's behind Saul. He even has a new name now. His name is Paul. Every one of us gets a new name when we get saved and our new name is written down in glory. Do you have your name written in heaven? That's the question. Not just is it on a church book or a Sunday school roll book, but is it written in heaven?
and Saul's name was written in heaven and it was called Paul. Paul had been on three missionary journeys and he was now going back to Jerusalem with an offering for the poor people that lived in Jerusalem, the Christians that had been greatly deprived because of the persecution. He was on his way back to Jerusalem and he had that offering and he had his face set as it were a flint to go to Jerusalem like his master earlier, the Lord Jesus. Now before he got to Jerusalem, several people warned him, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to suffer persecution. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to have to die. If you go to Jerusalem, they will arrest you. And over and over again, for example, in the early part of this chapter, as we studied in the Sunday school, he came and stayed seven days with some friends. And they said to him, through the Spirit, that Paul should not go to Jerusalem, which has led some people to believe that when Paul did go to Jerusalem, he disobeyed God. I think they were just telling him, they were warning him of what would happen. And then um, a, certain, a certain prophet named Agabus came down and, and took Paul's belt off of him and put his hands out there and put that belt around his hands and bound him and he said, so shall be done to the man that owns this belt when he goes to Jerusalem. You're going to suffer, Paul. And those who were with Paul, who loved him and cared about him, began to plead with Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to suffer. They may kill you. Don't go to Jerusalem. And all of this brought one of the greatest words from the Apostle Paul that was ever spoken. He said in verse 13, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ready to go, ready to stay, ready to live, ready to die. With that basic text as a background and a foundation, I want to say just a few things to all of our hearts this morning. Paul said three times in his ministry, I am ready. In Romans chapter 1 verse 15, he said, I am ready to preach. That means I'm ready to live, ready to go to Rome. I'm ready to preach. I'm ready to spend the rest of what God gives me in declaring the whole counsel of God. I am ready. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, while he was in a Roman prison just before he was beheaded on the Appian Way, he said, I'm ready to be offered. I'm ready. I'm ready to be offered. Time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've kept the, cor kept the faith. I've finished, finished my course. I'm ready. And here he says... I am ready not only to be bound, but I'm ready to die. Now those three thoughts moved my heart. And I want to ask God to lay it on the heart of every person in this room and within the sound of my voice today. Are you ready? Are you ready to live? Are you ready to die? A person is not ready to die until he's ready to live. And I don't think a person is ready to live until he's ready to die. We have too many uncertainties in life. 
And as a result, there are too many people walking around wringing their hands and pulling their hair and visiting the counselor's offices, trying to seek the answers to all the problems they face. Paul had a different approach to this. He said, I know the vicissitudes are going to come. I know certain failures are going to come. Paul knew a time when people who loved him forsook him. One of his best associates was named Demas. Demas loved Paul and Paul loved Demas. But there came a time in Demas' life when he loved the present world more than he loved Paul, more than he loved God, more than he loved his purpose in life. And he turned away and went back to the world, back to the old ways of living. And Paul was hurt and discouraged and defeated. But he never, never, never gave up, never cast in the towel. There are going to be times in your life when your very best friends will forsake you. There are going to be times in your life when people that you believed in and loved and respected and were sure they would stand true to you, if, even if everybody else left, they wouldn't leave and all of a sudden they'll be gone. And what are you going to do? Paul faced that. He said, I'm ready. I am not going to throw in the towel. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm going on through this present trial. I'll make it because my trust and faith is not in people but is in Jesus. Earthly friends may prove untrue. Doubts and fears assail. One still loves and cares for you. One who will not fail. His name is Jesus. And he never will leave nor forsake. Now in order for us to be able to say I'm ready, I think three things need to be settled in our thinking. Number one, our eternity needs to be settled. Where am I going to spend it? Where am I bound for? Where am I on my way to? Am I on my way to the top of the ladder of success? Is that my goal? Is that my standard? Am I just trying to make all straight A's in school? Am I just trying to make the first team in basketball or football? Am I just trying to accomplish some particular goal that I've set in mind? There's nothing wrong with goals. We need to have them. We need to establish them. But my friend, our goal has to be higher than anything this earth could give or take away, or we're going to be subject to up and down, and we'll be yo-yos in life. Paul said, my eternity is settled. I'm on my way to Emmanuel's land. Pilgrim in the Pilgrim's Progress, Mr. Christian, was on his way to Emmanuel's land. He went through the snare of the fowler. He went through many, many problems and discouragements. And when he got to the cross and the burden rolled away, the, burden, the problems were still not over. He went down through the pitfalls and the hard times and the hardships. And then he was still walking toward Emmanuel's land and the devil did everything it could to draw him back. I want to know, have you settled eternity's question in your life? Where are you on your way to? If you should leave Glendale Baptist Church this morning, or wherever you are, you who listen by radio, if you, if you should leave the present place and you step out into the street and suddenly by accident or by health failure or in some way your life would be snapped out where would you go do you know do you know for sure Paul said I'm ready because my eternity is settled 
I want to go to Rome. I want to go to Jerusalem. That's what God wants me to do. But I have a, another place in mind too. It doesn't make any difference whether I get to Jerusalem or Rome or heaven. I've settled it all. Now how do we settle our eternity? How do we settle that? The big problem in our lives is the sin problem. S-I-N. For all have sinned. The wages of that sin is death. Be sure your sin will find you out. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Sin is a terrible monster that insists on paying its wages. It will pay it sooner or later. And if we do not have sin's debt canceled by the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses from all sin, then we're going to face the consequences of our sin for eternity. In that awful place Jesus called hell. It has never been God's will that one single person that he made ever go to hell. God never planned it that way. The hell was made for the devil and his angels. It was never made for anybody made in the image of God. Hell was not made or created for you. But I want to tell you, the only way you can go to God's heaven is to have heaven inside your breast before you leave here. And the way to have heaven inside of you is to receive Jesus. For where Jesus is, there's heaven. Wherever it is. And if you just quietly say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. I want you. I need you. He'll come in. I stood beside several dying people in the last number of weeks. I was so thankful to be able to stand by our beloved Leo those last few days of his life. And I said to him, he could hear me, Leo, you're not afraid. You're trusting in Jesus. Jesus is here and heaven is before you. That's right. That's right, he said. The other night, I made a trip to Murfreesboro, the veterans hospital, and stood beside a dying man. He's dead now. And I said, Luther, you must not be afraid. He was in the intensive care and doctors and nurses all around him. I said, Luther, you must not be afraid. And he opened his eyes and looked at me and smiled. I said, you settled it with Jesus a long time ago, didn't you? Yes. We read the scripture together. The Lord is my shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And in all of his agony and anguish, he smiled. After a while, he was gone. I want to know, is your eternity settled? You may settle a whole lot of things. But if that isn't settled, you can never say, I am ready. Secondly, if your eternity is settled, I want to know, is your lifestyle synchronized with your eternity? Is your lifestyle synchronized with your eternity? There are lots of people that live lifestyles here as if they were going to hell. That's the way they live. They live for the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's the kind of lifestyle they live. And when some preacher 
preaches from the Word of God and reads from God's Word what God would say to believers, some would say, I don't like that kind of preaching. I'll go somewhere else. I don't want to hear it. But I want to ask you this morning, as preciously, as faithfully, as graciously, as kindly, as concerned as I know how, is your lifestyle synchronized with your eternity? On you, are you on your way to Emmanuel's land? And if you are, are you living like it? Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God doesn't want just your soul or your heart. I want to speak tonight on our body, soul, and spirit before the Lord from, second, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But listen, God does not want just our heart. Matter of fact, He doesn't even want our heart. He wants to give us a new heart. He wants our ears so we can listen to things that would honor God. He wants our eyes so we can read things that would honor the Lord. Sometimes teenagers in those years between being children and being adults, when they're going through all the adjustments and they're seeking to know the realities of life, sometimes mom and dad feel a little bit embarrassed about talking about the facts of life and and uh, they get these things from the gutters and the and the only place they know to get them is they buy some of these old trashy filthy magazines and hide them around and then look at them and have their old emotions stirred up i want to tell you that's the way hell lives god made man in his own image god made women in their in god's own image god built into men and women beautiful sacred things and moms and dads let me encourage you to help your children understand that don't get them don't make them learn these things from the gutter don't make them learn these things from old pornographic literature that will will hurt their mind and hurt their whole outlook on these things and will turn them into deviates I believe God wants the home to be a training center. And I believe those who work with young people in our church life need to deal delicately, faithfully, graciously, tenderly, gently, and yet frankly and faithfully with some of these issues as to what the Bible says. God wants our eyes. He wants our tongue. He wants the comely parts and the uncomely parts of our body on the altar for God. And so I want to ask you, is your lifestyle what God wants it to be? In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 9, chapter 2 verse 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy people, a, a holy nation, a people of his own, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In 1 Peter chapter 3, in the same manner, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also without the word be won by the behavior of the wives, while they behold your chaste conduct coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning, braiding of the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Some people read that and they get it all messed up. They say, well, that means you women can't fix their hair nice. 
Well, that means they can't wear pretty things. I think God made women to be pretty. And you ought to be as pretty as you can be. Wear the most beautiful things you can wear. I don't mean gaudy, but look nice. Fix your hair nice. I don't think God wants you streaming hair like gravel Gertie. It'll look like something. But I want to tell you what that scripture does mean. It means that the thing that's attractive about you is not just the, all this outward appearance. And there are lots of people that have a good outward appearance, but inside they're full of putrid, putrid sores and, and dead man's bones. And their heart is not right with God. And that's what this passage is talking about. God wants women in their lifestyle to honor Christ with a modest and meek spirit on the inside. Likewise, men. Men are not to just prance around, flex their muscles and lift their weights. There's nothing wrong with that. If you have in mind building a strong body. But if all you have in mind in lifting those weights is taking your shirt off so everybody can see all your big old muscles, then you're off center, brother. God says that there's something more in our life than that. That, our, that the thing that really honors Him is the lifestyle of our heart. And if our heart is right with God, the other things will be right with God. Is our lifestyle synchronized with our eternity? Or do you say, I'm on my way to heaven. I'm on my way to heaven. Go, 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 go. Can't hardly stand up straight, but I'm on my way to heaven. Is your lifestyle synchronized with your eternity? That's what I want to ask. Young people today who live any old way and free sex and premarital sex and all of those things, and you say you're just a prude if you don't approve of those things. Well, God says, thou shalt not. That's what the Bible says. And all I can do is declare unto you the whole counsel of God. What God says. Is your lifestyle synchronized with your eternity? And last of all, is your mission successful? I want to change the word to just accomplished. I think when the mission is accomplished, it's successful. Lots of people talking about success and they measure success by the way the world measures it. Like some of the movie actors who have recently died and the whole world notices it and it's in the media day and night. And we say that's success. I'm not his judge. But I want to suggest to you, mission accomplished is success. And I believe that a man's, a man's life is immortal until his mission is accomplished if he's in the will of God. God never did promise us a long, long life in the will of God. I think Paul must have died when he was about 56, 58, something like that. Probably not even 60. I think D.L. Moody died when he was about 62. Charles Haddon Spurgeon died when he was about 58. God gives some people a long life. Dear Dr. Robert G. Lee preached until he was 92, 91, died when he was 92. 
David Brainerd, the marvelous missionary to the Indians of America, died when he was 29. It's not so much how long you live, but how much you live. What does God want you to accomplish with your life? Joan of Arc died before she was 20 and lives on in the literature pages of the world as one of the greatest heroines that ever lived, one of the great heroes. What does God want you to do? You may not have agreed with Franklin Roosevelt's politics. I frankly think he made some mistakes, just like I know I've made some mistakes. But I appreciate Franklin Roosevelt sticking by his guns. We didn't have, a, we didn't have an election. Uh, we didn't have a law that said you can't run for more than two years, two terms at that time. And so we were in the dark days of the World War II. And he said, I'll just go on and go through the third term. He went through the third term. And we were still in that war, just about to come out to peace. He said, I'll go on to the fourth term. Just about two or three months into the fourth term, he died with his boots on in Warm Springs. He died doing what America needed at that time. A lot of people talk about retirement. They can hardly wait till they can retire. Well, I want to know, that's very interesting. I'm not against retirement, but I want to know, what are you going to do when you retire? He's going to sit down and sit there. Miss Helen Turner was supposed to retire some time ago, but she's been working like a Trojan ever since. She's never retired. Brian Houchins has retired four times, and he's now pastor of the Blackjack Baptist Church in Simpson County, just going on with God. Are you looking forward to retirement so you can just sit down and twiddle your thumbs or just do nothing? I want to say, what does God want you to do with your life? Are you doing it? As a school teacher, as a physician, as a storekeeper, as a shop worker, whatever you are, are you doing what God wants done? One thing I respect about Charlie Wilson, had a heart attack and other things. He got up, can't keep that man down. And it's time now for another election. He says, well, if God wants me, I'm going to make myself available to this city and city government. I want to ask you today, is your mission going to be accomplished or are you going to quit on God? You're just going to throw in the towel as a Sunday school teacher. Well, I can't get everybody to come. As a Sunday school worker, as a training union worker, as some person in the work of the Lord at church. Well, I tell you, things just aren't what they were. And I don't know whether I ought to go on or not. If God has put you in a work, go on until he removes you from that work. Paul was able to say to those dear people who loved him, and I want you to read that again when you get home. You can't escape knowing that they loved him. They absolutely loved him. In chapter 20, they wept because he said, I'll see your face no more. In chapter 21, they tried their best to dissuade him from going down to Jerusalem because they knew what would happen. They warned him. And they said, but Paul, please don't go. Please don't go. Please don't go. And Paul said, do you, why, why do you try to bother me? Break my heart with all your weeping. He said, I'm ready not just to be bound, but to die. 
at Jerusalem for the name of Jesus. Now, with that in mind, I want to ask you, are you ready to go over to Western University and live a Christian life there? Are you ready to go back to your work tomorrow and live a Christian life there? Are you ready to go back to your school and with all of the, uh, some of the fun they might make of you and, and some of the scoffing, are you willing to take it and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to do what I can do. For Jesus' sake, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. I don't believe you'll be ready to die until you're ready to live. Jim Elliott wanted very much to get into the AUKUS Indians. He had that as his goal. He went to college, went to Moody Bible Institute. Some of the others went to Wheaton College. They prepared themselves intricately, brilliant minds. They learned how to fly a plane, not so they could just go on a pleasure drive. They learned how to fly a plane so they could fly over those AUKUS Indians and leave them leaflets about Jesus and gospel tracts and gifts. And then they went, the time came when they went to Ecuador. And they prayed and they studied and they worked and they prayed and they studied and they worked. Took off on their plane and went over the AUKUS Indians and dropped those little gifts and dropped those little tracks and it looked like there was friendliness on earth on, among the Indians toward them. So on a certain given day they decided we're going to land on a beachhead and we're going to start the witness. And they flew their plane down to that beachhead and landed. And a few days later, the whole world learned the story that the five missionaries have died at the hands of the AUKUS Indians. Jim Elliott wrote before he died to his mother. I think it was the night before they took that trip. He said, Dear Mother, I do not mean to sound pedantic or as if I knew it all, but Mother, we who have enrolled in the cause of Christ have enrolled in the life of the cross. I pray that God will give me the spirit of the great short-lived one. Then he said, Mother, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I am ready. Ready to live. I'm ready to die. And I can tell you today you can go out of here ready to live and ready to die if you'll anchor your life in Christ and say, God, give me a purpose for living. I'm going to settle my eternity. And I'm going to live a lifestyle that is synchronized with my eternity. I'm going to live like I'm on my way to heaven. And I'm going to stick at it until my mission is successful or accomplished. I'm not going to quit. May we pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for this time together to study the Bible. We pray that somebody here who needs God will turn to him this morning through Jesus and will receive him and take a stand for him give boldness and faith and courage that young people men and women might come out from the ranks and take an open stand for Christ in Jesus name amen may we stand please just as I am without one plea now listen I want to request that no one leave please no one leave just remain right where you are. You can give just a few more minutes. I know if you have to go to work, you can slip out. But otherwise, let's stay here a moment. God is speaking to folks. 
Let him have his way with you. If you're here today and you have already been saved, you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, you need to come and confess him openly and follow him in baptism. That's God's plan. That's God's will. If you've never been saved, I want to plead with you to come to Jesus and trust him as your Savior and your Lord. Will you do that? If you're a member of some other church and God wants you at this church, would you come today, become part of this fellowship? And if God has put his hand on you, is tugging at your heart to do something for him, would you yield to him? Would you say, Lord, here's my life, I give it to you. While we begin to sing, who will step out for the king? Will you come quickly?